well, there are the clothes for one thing, and you've been well undragoned for another. What do you think it was then? asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us. Just a reminder today that we are talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on to tangents into other stories and other just parts of culture that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way. There's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing the seventh chapter of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which despite the title is not the end of the book. That chapter title is How the Adventure Ended. Wait, are we not done? I Man, thought Chase, this was the last one. Could have sworn we were done, but it turns out we're halfway through. Oh, I've got to go in like 15, 20 minutes, go. You know what? I think we could just summarize the rest of the book. But uh, while we're at it, can you just give us a summary of this chapter? Uh, I guess so, if you really insist on it. No, I'd love to, Cal. Uh, so Caspian pointed out the symbol on the golden band on the dragon's arm. Uh, it had the insignia of a great Narnian house belonging to, to the Lord Octesian. Not, not Octavian, as I tried to write several times in the summary, but Octesian. Octogenarian. Oct- is 80 yes, people. by the Lord Octog- Octogenarian, the Octogenarian dragon. Uh, so Reepicheep questioned if the beast had eaten the Lord, while Lucy suggested it might be the Lord. Uh, Lucy asked if the dragon was Artesian, to which it shook its head no, but when asked if it was an enchanted hu- human, it nodded its head excitedly. Then, after a little bit of this, they discovered that it was, in fact, Eustace, as he continued to nod his head and cry boiling tears. They all consoled him for his bad luck of becoming a dragon, and assured him that they would find a way to disenchant him. Over the next few days, Eustace tried a few times to write out in the sand what had happened to him. But he was a bad storyteller, for one thing, because he's not reading the right books. His dragon's hands weren't really trained in writing. His muscles don't really work like that. And then the tide would come in and wash everything away anyways. The one thing that everyone could tell was that Eustace's character had become better by becoming a dragon, because he really just sucks that much. He'd become more helpful, catching wild goats and swine for the others to eat and pulling up a tall tree to be made into a ship's mast. He even kept people warm on cold nights and took them flying on his back. The pleasure of being liked was the only thing that kept uses from despair. Same. Reepicheep even became an encouraging companion to him, sitting with him and telling him how similar misfortunes had fallen upon great people throughout history, and they had still been able to recover and even live happily ever after. The other problem that they were facing, though, was what to do with Eustace when they started sailing. He couldn't fit on this boat. He's a dragon. Uh, And before everyone... or. uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. He couldn't fit on this boat, and they would have a really hard time feeding him. Dragons eat a lot, if you haven't noticed. One morning, several days later, Edmund woke up very early before everyone else and saw a shadow moving down the beach. He went to investigate and the, fig- the figure, and uh, he asked if it was Edmund. Edmund, is that you? He confirmed, and it turned out to be Eustace. Back to normal. 
but he said not to tell the others quite yet because he has to do exposition here with one person to ask questions, not many. He said he'd wait to tell him how he became a dragon because we've already read that part, uh, but he wanted to share how he came back from being a dragon. He said he had been up the night before hurting from the golden armband when he saw a huge lion coming towards him on the beach. It was strange because there was no moon out that night, but there was moonlight where the lion was, or just light. It might have just been light. It's not moonlight if there's no moon. Anyways, as it came nearer, he was afraid of it. Not that it could hurt him, he was a dragon, but really just this fear that he couldn't quite explain. The lion led him to the top of a mountain and into a garden, and in the middle of the garden, there was a well. The well was bigger than most, with water bubbling up from the bottom and big marble steps, and the lion told him, without words, mind you, because lions can't talk, we hear that about five times in this chapter, uh, the lion told him he must undress to get in. He was going to say he didn't have any clothes because, again, dragon. Uh, but he remembered that dragons are kind of like snakes, and maybe he could shed his skin. He took off one layer and felt fresh and renewed, but then when he looked down at his leg, he saw it was still scaly and realized there were even more layers to remove. He did this again and again and again, but it was no use. With each layer, he only found more scales. Then the lion said that he would have to let the lion, Aslan, undress him. Uh, at first, he was afraid of the claws, but he let him. It was painful, but it also felt good to feel the stuff peeling away. Then the lion threw him into the water, and he began to swim and feel better and better. He realized the pain had left his arm, and then that his arms were back to being the arms of a boy who doesn't work out. After a bit, uh, the lion took him out and dressed him in new clothes, and then suddenly he was back at the beach, which is why he thought it might have been a dream. But Edmund said it wasn't a dream. For one thing, he had his clothes still, but he thought he'd seen Aslan. Eustace said he'd heard the name Aslan on the boat, and at that time he'd hated it like he hated everything because he's the worst. But then he apologized for being the worst, so it was okay. Edmund forgave him and said, honestly, he hasn't been as bad as he was his first trip to Narnia because while Eustace was being a butt, Edmund was a traitor. Edmund told him about Aslan, and the two sat on the beach until the light came and Caspian's horn sounded. Everyone was super happy and rejoiced that Eustace was back to himself, and then wondered whether the old dragon that killed had killed Lord Arctesian, or if that old dragon had been Lord Arctesian. And then they moved on from that question, because we don't want to ask whether or not Eustace is a cannibal, and they repaired the restored ship for sailing. Before they left, they carved into a cliffside that this was now Dragon Island, discovered by Caspian X in the fourth year of his reign, and there Lord Octesian had his death. From that point on, it was fair to say that Eustace was a different boy, and then they threw Lord Octesian's armory into the air to mark the end of the chapter, but it caught on a rock and hung by the inscription where it is probably there to this day. Chase, be the Octesian that you want to see in the in this world you gotta you gotta change the Octi if the Octesian is you change into a dragon to consume that Octesian. Yes. Bingo. Well Chase <clears throat> we octopi can swim. They don't need to take off their clothes first. But they do have camouflage. So. Then they also have ink. That's true. Uh well we left on the last chapter on the wonderful cliffhanger of uh, Caspian saying, look, and now 
we still see it. Uh, Almost where, like this book wasn't intended to be a chapter by chapter read through. You know, it's tough. Uh, it's one of those things where you, the original medium of, of this and, and how these things were developed and these are stories being told, you know, like this is meant to be like a story told to a kid. Yeah. Not necessarily a chapter by chapter novel. I mean, it's kind of like on Netflix. They just want you to click the next episode. And that's easier when you're reading a book where it's like 10 page chapters. It's sure. fine. But, but there's uh, no box that comes up and says, are you still reading? Are, really? Was, are I, was I ever? Are you still in this? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm almost done. And then it goes, oh. why? Why are you still in this? Chase, this chapter's title is How the Adventure Ended. And the adventure's not over. I don't know. The uh, The end of this chapter is basically, and it was probably there even to the end of time. The end. Yeah. Really. So the next couple books. They tie a nice bow on it. This is the end of Eustace's journey. He's like, still going to be there. Yeah. It really. Gonna... Yeah. We were talking about this before the pod. Like it feels like C.S. Lewis got to the end of this chapter and this was the story he wanted to tell. But then he realized he was only seven chapters in. And it was like, oh crap, I can't, I can't stop here. But then right. he didn't change anything about it because he's him. He doesn't have editors. Yeah. He just he just went for it, and uh, you know, it's it's weird. We talked about this off pod, and I know this is like almost blasphemous to say because this movie was so bad. But the one thing that I think this movie did better than the book by far was it didn't have Eustace recover from his dragonness in one chapter or in like you know in the equivalent of like two scenes. Like he's the dragon for the rest of the movie. And this climactic scene happens at the end. Well, you know, Kel, you can only address one character's story at a time in a book. There's yeah. no possible way to deal with multiple people's character flaws at the same time. See, but even like Edmund in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, he betrays people. And then it's at least several chapters until... Oh, yeah he is redeemed and my sarcasm aside that's kind of what i like about prince caspian the book and also the horse and his boy the book is that like you see their character journeys all happening like simultaneously and then the climax of the book resolves all of those in a way yeah rather than just like well this week we're on an adventure to see what happens to Eustace. Next <laughs> week we'll be on. That was a Freudian slip where that was also true. Uh, yes, useless. Uh, Man, what a great nickname we have not been using for six podcast episodes. And we can't even really use it that much from here out because this is the last yeah. chapter that Eustace sucks. Um, except for like one sentence in the next chapter which was kind of out of place but anyways uh where was i uh you were talking about uh how the like character arcs just don't make sense oh i mean yeah anyways uh basically like this chapter last chapter were like 
Eustace's mini story. And then like next week will be Prince Caspian's mini story. And then the week after that will be Lucy's mini story. It's like all for whatever reason, this is an adventure of the week book instead of a like it's, narrative, which it, is not how books work. Yeah. This is the Odyssey. If every episode happened to a different character on the ship as opposed to Odysseus. Yeah. I think what what it is is like this would make a good small play. Yeah. And it would make a good like book. This would make like a good TV, like a kids TV show where it's oh man, like Edmund turned into a dragon. But like in the arc of that episode or like a two-part episode, like he turns back. And then it's like, oh yeah, like you said, you know, cast like spoiler alert for the next chapter. Caspian struggle with greed. Then the spoiler alert for a few chapters from now, like Lucy's struggle with vanity, uh, or like you know, compar- comparison, you know, or whatever it might be. Like it's, it would be good episodic stuff, but like, ev- there's no over, there's no overarching like theme for this book, or like what's the narrative other than just exploration. Uh, it's what just, are we really exploring, Kel, Narnia, or ourselves? Neither. It just strikes me as something that would be better for a visual medium where, like, when you're looking at a screen, it's easier to focus in on a single character at a time. Whereas okay. the benefit of writing and, like, the thing that makes literary masterpieces is that you can weave so much together because you can be subtle in a way that it's harder to be subtle in a visual medium. Yeah. But all that to say, back to the chapter at hand, um, we, cause we'll, we'll continually have more thoughts on, on the jankiness of, of this, of how it's just, it just, it's not written in a great book format, but um, we, we come back to, you know, Caspian pointing out the the gold band on the dragon's arm, and they're like, "That's Lord Octesian, Octogenarian, Octavius." But this dragon looks so young. How could he be an octogenarian? So then (laughs) they go, "Have you devoured a Narnian lord?" And the the dragon shakes his head. Chase, that's a lie. That's a lie because. As we've addressed, Eustace is now a cannibal. He, if he didn't eat Octesian, he ate the person who ate Octesian. Like, so by the transitive property, he, he ate Octesian. <laughs> a eats B and B eats C. A eats C. Uh, I believe that's how it works. I think C eats A. No. No, yeah. seven, eight, a, nine. If, if, yeah, if seven, eight, nine then nine is seven. Correct. Bingo. Um, but uh, they, he's like, I. He, 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 this doesn't count as him eating the Narnian Lord, I guess. Uh, and then they're like, perhaps this it's is... He said Lord. not to worry about it, so I'm not worried about it, Cal. Yeah, that's true. He just says, hey, don't worry about it. This is what dragons do. They eat each other. You wouldn't Which be is- worried about this if you understood dragon culture. Get off my back. Literally, I've read so many books about dragons. <laughs> This isn't what they do, dude. I read your contemporary, like Mr. Tolkien, 
And this is not what the dragons do there. And they are a much more significant like role in Tolkien stories than in this one. You just but, don't understand me, mom. You're right, man. Might be. But they're like, maybe this is Octesian turned into a dragon. And they're like, well, it was all you're almost right, Lucy. Just as you were almost right that he ate <laughs> like Octesian. Uh I and mean, Ed, Edmund's like, I, neither. I mean, really. Eustace is just a liar at this point. That's why he had to stay a dragon for a few more days. It was punishment for being a liar. Yeah. Uh, as you know, uh, in Revelations, liars either go to hell or turn into dragons. Uh, but Same thing. Same thing. Uh, they make, they in, in the span of like two lines of dialogue, uh, they, they go like, are you the Lord Octesian? And he shakes his head no. And then they're like, are you useless? They like make a quick assumption here. Yeah, it's really their very second guess really jumps the gun, which luckily they're right. But yeah, he just kind of hand waves over the fact that they would be able to figure this out. Like honestly, the fact that they'd be able to figure out that it's a human at all and not just a sentient dragon is correct. is a little bit wild. Like my, knowing what I know about dragons is that they are sentient. Like yeah. I would never assume that it was an enchanted human as much as just a depressed dragon. Like and really weepy, this dragon. The, the way, like for me, I, I hate to like go back and be like, this is what you should have done. But like, that's I the point like, of this podcast, right? Right. Youth, this podcast started as a, we love these books. We want to celebrate <laughs> them. It has ended as a man. We're we so cynical. Um, I think it's just recognizing reality. We can still love these books and also acknowledge that they need uh, they need an editor, right? Because like the the one of the most preached on aspects of these books is in this chapter, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but also had qualms with it, it. Has some weird little points of of verbiage. Uh, it, it Maybe uncomfortable to read, but that's probably more on me than on it. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> but um, they like, I don't know. I feel like he should have like they they've shown that he can write, but poorly. I feel like he, they should have just had him because he was sitting there all night in the sand, have like you stays or like Eustace spelled poorly or with bad handwriting, like scribbled in the sand in front of him. Just put in some Hagrid font. Yeah, you know, um, just do something to where it's like to where to where this leap of them guessing that it's Eustace makes sense. Um, yeah, like they could have spent an extra even one sentence on it. Like if they had, even if he had, um, like an article of clothing or a knickknack that Eustace carried around, and he had that thing, they'd be like, "Did you eat Eustace?" And he would shake his head and be like, "Wait." Are you like something that just makes this transition more clean on the article of clothing thing? Because this does come up later in this chapter, but I'll ask it now. Did Eustace Hulk out his clothes? Um, I would assume so because it would make sense to turn into a dragon and no longer fit in your like regular. Right. And, and that is one thing that like he, he at least remembers you know, to do this, like in that scene, um, 
which again, we will get to the weird verbiage here, but he has to put on new clothes. Like Aslan dresses him in new clothes because he was, uh, you know, as he puts it like peeled and as, you know, fresh as like a, or like naked as like a peeled whip or something, or like a peeled switch or something like that. Uh, so like very, very nude. <laughs> like So I think we could only assume that he hulked out. I mean, I'm glad he gets new clothes. His old clothes were so drab. They were, they were very Eustace. Uh, I'm very much assuming that his new clothes are made out of dragon skin. And that's pretty dope. He got a dragon hide. If you played RuneScape back in the day, that was quality armor. That's that's what you go for, you know. Yeah. Um, that's that's the thing. RuneScape. Good night. Uh, that is a very like millennial thing to to bring up. It's, but, it's how I know I'm a millennial and not Gen Z, go. RuneScape. All right, but he I starts. We're not having a phone. Yeah, everyone. Uh, you know. Like Eustace starts, he's, you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm glad you guessed that I'm Eustace. And he starts weeping. Um, boiling with, tears. Boiling tears. Um, man, and this is one of those those things. I'm going to read it. We're just going to glance by it real fast. But like, we have to acknowledge this, Chase. Um, said, this is just a Britishism that like he uses. Uh, J.K. Rowling will even use this in Harry Potter. And just like. You're actually going to highlight this. I don't know. I, should I? I intentionally skipped over it in my, I did laugh. I did stop and show it to other people in the room with me, but I mean, we, we won't acknowledge it, but let's just say there is a strange, this is a family friendly podcast. We can't say family that friendly podcast. Uh, there is a word used, which in American English, we would never use to mean they screamed or said something loudly because it has a very different connotation with us than it does in uh, Britain. Um, and you know, more power to him. But every time I read this in this book and in Harry Potter, I will always laugh. Um, it's very funny. Essentially what it means is like shouting, um, in in the Britishism, not in the Americanism. Exclaimed. Uh, Yeah, they, (laughs) yep. So they, they expressed, keep, but uh, keep going. And then, uh, yeah. sorry to even when, when JK Rowling does it, I think it's tongue in cheek intentional because she's writing a teenage coming of age novel. If that helps anyone who's not on the same page, I man, I maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I, there's a few times when JK Rowling does it where I'm like, oh, this was on purpose because. If you go back and reread the Harry Potter books, like they're they're intentional about some things. Yeah, you can but, read them to a kid and not catch them, but it's uh, they're they're funny to reread as an adult. Correct. But uh, so all this to say, uh, you know, he's crying, boiling tears, and everyone's like, "Oh God, get out of the way!" Um, and then, <laughs> like my favorite is the, is all of the people on the boats like reaction like, "Ah, oh, tough luck, man." Yeah, they literally just every nearly everyone said hard luck, and several assured Eustace that they would all stand by him. It <laughs> they all uh, act man. like he didn't get like a job or something. Like it, <laughs> they're like, oh man, like you're you you like you have to you're getting evicted from your apartment. Like that's uh, a that's a tough go of it, man. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Oh, Do it next time. You you know. Uh, you, you, you got, you were walking on the side of the road and water splashed on your pants. Ah, 
bad luck, man. Oh, you got turned into a dragon, and there may it may be irreversible. Oh, tough uh, luck, bro. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. I'll be praying for you, dude. <laughs> it's it's a great reaction. Um, but he so it basically says that like they're trying to hear his story, but he can't speak because he's a dragon, and apparently <laughs> dragons can't speak now. Not uh, in this version. They're sentient, but they can't. I mean, maybe if he could figure out telepathy, they'd be able to speak. But I think that would mean that he would have to have a psychic link with one of them, and they're not that close. Well, that's a that's a very uh, inheritance cycle kind of dragon speak. That's a that's a few different versions of dragons. Yeah, but I mean, Smaug literally just speaks. Well, yeah, but he's also Benedict Cumberbatch, so you want to hear him speak every. I don't know if you've ever heard this. This is a total tangent, but just the name Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, someone told me once that was like, once you say Benedict Cumberbatch's name to the rhythm of another one bites the dust, it's really, it's really hard to not say it like that ever again. Hollywood like, superstar Shia LaBeouf. That's what it makes <laughs> me think of. But um, so he he starts writing in the sand. But he can't write like it. I like this little detail where he's like, one, he, you know, is a bad storyteller because he's never read read stories before. Which I'd like to point out, there's plenty of people who haven't read narrative fiction who know how to deliver facts to people. Correct. You don't have to have read books to be able to say what happened was. Yes, correct. The part that I enjoyed was like, they were like, the muscles in his arms weren't used to doing this before. That and one so it like, the, the lettering was janky and like, he couldn't really like control it yet. And so he, he writes out and, you know, our narrator C.S. Lewis points out like the, the dots in his writing are the bits that he had smudged out with his tail or that had gotten trodden over or something like that. So it's like, I went to sleep. Argos Agrans, I mean, dra- Dragon's cave cause it was dead, aining. So R woke up and could got off me arm, oh bother. Uh, like, Sorry? it's, if you were wondering, I did not just like spaz out. Wi Fi is not bad. Uh, I'm still physically okay. That's just how it was written. Um, I mean, but trying to tell his it's a stretch, but yeah. Go on. Uh, but he, he's trying to tell a story and realizes he just can't. But then immediately he just skips, like CS Lewis just skips past this and is like, but he actually became really helpful. So as opposed to useless, he's useful. Uh, Everyone actually thought Eustace was better as a dragon and they didn't want to say it, but they kind of wished he wouldn't turn back into a boy. And at the end, whenever he gets turned back into a boy, they're like, oh, yay, good. You're yeah, it, it's so funny to me. And, and I mentioned this in, in the summary, but... They basically are like, Eustace really, here's the line, the pleasure quite new to him of being liked and still more of liking other people was what kept Eustace from despair, which on you, its own, you read is that a so very deadpan. sad line. <laughs> you read that so deadpan in your summary when you were like saying, it was so fun. <laughs> I almost, I almost ruined your summary when you did that. It, like that that line stopped me in my tracks because both i was like man that's relatable man that's not good that that's relatable and it is 
I I don't think I don't think C.S. Lewis is aware that that is a sad statement to make. It's tough for sure, but yeah, you know the good news is Chase, you have the good luck of not being a dragon. <sighs> is it good luck though, Kel? I can't fly. I'm you can't really fly bad at hunting goats and pigs. He killed. I, so that line, it's again really funny line. He's like, he was a really good and efficient and humane killer because he would just swing his tail one time at goats, and it goes, uh, for he could dispatch a beast with one blow of his tail so that it didn't know, parentheses, and presumably still doesn't know it had been killed. <laughs> That's like. C.S. Lewis every now and then is really funny. That, and it was a solid, a solid witticism. That's a really funny line because <laughs> I, I, it's like, yeah, probably still doesn't know. Uh, I yeah, like the best way to go out is to not even know what happened. I've always said I want to die in a way that makes the papers. Um, like, like being killed by a dragon would do it, you know? Yeah. I I want to go out in a way that they can tell the story at my funeral. I yeah. want I want to have a cause of death named after me. Like, oh, dude just got casted. Uh, you know, got killed. He got killed. Killed sounds too much like killed. I mean, that's that's the fun of it. It's one it's of the words, and I get it. But I think people would just assume that you were saying killed with like a Scottish accent. You got killed. Got killed over <laughs> So. It'd be, it's tough, but uh, all I'd say he has become useful and he is, you know, doing great things. But to, like you said, um, you know, dude now knows what it's like to be liked. And so now he knows what it's like to be unliked as well um, with this disparity and this, you know, tipping of the scales, LOL, um, of like, if you know what it's like to be liked, you inherently know what it's like to be unliked. And he now knows previously even greater what it was like to be disliked and dislikable um, by everyone. But Chase, the hero of this story, the real hero, not Aslan, not Hermione, not me, Reaper Cheap. Uh, but he comes up as, uh, as Eustace's most constant comforter. What a sweet thing that is. What a dude. What a Probably dude. Because Eustace is cool now because he's a dragon. I but think see, I don't think it's because of that. I think Reaper Cheap is just like, you know what? Like, I know what it's like to be so different. And I think he just cares. I think he's a good, like, I think he's a an empathetic guy who's like, you know what? I'm gonna care for you. And he would just go and sit with him and tell him stories of you know, all of these knights and kings who had like, they had gone through misfortune, but they ended up happy afterwards. Uh, and it like, fortunately, many people go through misfortunes and don't end up happy afterwards. Don't worry about them. Those aren't the ones that get told stories of chase. Those that, stories. Are that not was fun. my point. That is where my cynical brain read that and immediately went. Yeah. Don't worry about them. Worry about the stories. If, and don't, don't you know that this is a story chase? Yeah, if it didn't work out okay, we wouldn't be reading it. 
listen, you're acting like most people who are poor just, you know, stay poor historically and have to suffer. That's yeah. It's not like, like the majority of the masses throughout history died in despair. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Uh, how about you, you know, get out of your, your bleakness here for a little bit. And there's never been one revolution of the poor rising against the wealthy. Hmm. Right. No, can't remember. Not, any. I, I don't think I was taught about any in schools. So no, uh, nor are there, you know, a plethora of uh, TV shows, movies, musicals, uh, about that very content. No, um, not that I've read or watched or binged. Anyways, so uh, you know, but all we all that to say, reap a cheap. What a what a pal. What a friend. What a good dude. Uh, and what an unlikely uh, you know duo, the mouse and the dragon. Uh, the story that I really want to read. Uh, you know, it, like as opposed to some of the other little. Uh, like asides in this, you know, I want to just see like an episodic book of Reaper Cheap and Dragon Eustace chilling, doing things together. And the adventures they go on in this like four day period. Yeah, bro. I think it would like, but like have them have Eustace just carry Reaper Cheap on his back between all the different islands and they're the ones that discover everything. I'm just saying they could just fly to Aslan's country. Yeah, and then like they like spoiler alert for the very end. If you do not want to know the end, skip ahead. Uh, when Reepicheep goes to Aslan's country, what a what a beautiful farewell that is! If they've spent all of this time together on this beach, and then Aslan like takes care of Eustace, and then he takes Reepicheep home, and then Eustace is just stuck there. But you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> Eustace just lives on a shallow beach at the edge of the world for the rest of eternity. And then I'm sure, you know, party. Aslan's Aslan. He could just bring him back to Britain, but, you know, or send him to a British consul. But um, they, so everyone, like he's been helping out a lot, but everyone kind of comes to this realization eventually where they're like, what are we going to do with, you know, this, this dragon? Like, are we going to, like, is he, can he fly between the islands? He's, is, are we going to like, is he going to chill on the, on the, you know, on top of the deck? Are we going to have to move weight around so that he can like, so he doesn't sink the boat. Uh, and Eustace realizes not only had he been a nuisance, he is now a larger, literally and metaphorically nuisance. Um, and that's a, that's a tough, it's a tough weight to bear. But good news is Chase, he only he didn't have to worry about that for too long. Because oh, in fact, we could just skip any amount of time like, needed in the space between this paragraph and the next to whenever yeah. it all just magically gets resolved. Yeah, Chase, because literally after he is sad, it just says, and about six days after this, Edmund woke up early one morning, uh, hears a noise, sees some scuffling around in the distance, realizes it's a human, but it's smaller than Caspian, uh, but larger than Lucy. And he draws a sword and realizes, hey, this is boy Eustace, not dragon Eustace. Oh, this dude's back. That's that's worth. And he, you know, pulls out his catchphrase again. He goes, by Jove, uh, which we haven't heard in a few books. So I'm glad that he got to pull one out of that. Um, It's good to know he's still British. Good to know that he's still British. Um, 
but he's like, what is going on? Um, and Eustace is like, yo, do you mind if we go find somewhere private to talk just you and me? And Edmund's like, sure. That's, you know, you must've had a pretty rough and beastly time. And he's like, you have no idea. I was a dragon. He's like, no, we, we did know that actually. Um, but he, Eustace goes, I'm not going to tell you how I became a dragon until I can tell the others, but I will tell you how I didn't become one or how I undragoned. Yeah. It's funny because what C.S. Lewis is trying to do here is give an excuse for exposition without actually filling in the details that Edmund wanted to know. He didn't have to tell us that he wasn't going to tell us the first part of the story though. He could have just said like had asthma, Edmund be like, how did you get turned back? And then Eustace could just be like, well, let me tell you. Like, yeah. you don't need to be like, hey, I know that you've been wondering. I'm going to tell you later. I'm just going to tell you while everyone else is here because I don't want to say it more than once because it's kind of traumatic, honestly. And I don't really want to like have to go through that. Yeah. Um, no, like, just, just skip that part. <laughs> we wouldn't have asked the question if you hadn't pointed it out. Right. It's... It's a weird little aside, but anyway, we move on and Eustace tells this story where he was like, well, you know, I was uh, feeling a lot of pain in my arm because of the bracelet and I was so tired of it. And all of a sudden I see this massive lion uh, chilling in the moonlight, but then I realized there was no moon. And so the lion was the moonlight and the lion was God and, and the lion was the word the word was with god and the word and put the lion on, became flesh and 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 the word put on took took off skin the word, the word the word took off skin and threw him into the water correct and put on fur um so he sees this huge lion that is casting light off of itself which is a great detail i love that I mean, uh, every time Aslan shows up, I mean, spoiler for next chapter, uh, he's just glowing, just like fully like light coming off of him. And he, C.S. Lewis always makes a point to be like, and there was no other source of light. So it was obviously him. Right. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So he is, he is the light. Um, and there's this really cool, like, because you're getting this description from a boy and he, and he's trying to put words to this idea of his fear of this line where he's like, I was afraid of it. Not, you know, you'd, you'd assume that that didn't make sense because I was a dragon and I, you know, was a, you know, I could have theoretically killed a lion, but I wasn't afraid of eating it or of him eating me, but I was just afraid of it. If you can understand. Um, and I was like, man, that's just, it's the beginning of wisdom. It's I've heard that somewhere. Um, but then he, he has these little conversation points with Edmund where he goes, and then he told me to follow it. And Edmund's like, you mean it spoke? And he's like, well, I don't know, maybe, but I don't think so. Actually. He just kind of like cast a, you know, a, a, an impression on him. Which that point gets drawn out like three or four times it's kind of a, a lot for uh like c.s lewis really wants to like drive home the po point that like aslan was just like communicating without like speaking 
Yeah. And he keeps having to be like, and remember, don't forget, like, it wasn't like he was talking, but like, I heard him, you know? I don't necessarily know what he's trying to communicate there. Telepathy. <laughs> sure. He's but a telepathic like. lion. Aslan is the one who has the dragon link. It all makes sense now. It all tracks. Um, Aslan is his writer. Right. And so he, he follows him uh, and he, he leads him to this garden on top of a mountain where there's trees and everything in the middle of it. There's this little well, which I think we can probably assume is more like a, like a little pond. Um, it kind of seemed like, so the picture I got from this, and I don't think either of us are going here in, in further up and further in, I got a picture of, uh, like, you know, the story in the gospels where Jesus goes to the pool where people are trying yeah. to get him to be healed. Yeah. I got that image. It's like a little, like a little wading pool, like a little, like a kid's pool almost. Yeah. Like, it. I, I can agree with that. Um, the holy hot tub. The holy hot tub. Holy hot tub, Batman. Um, but, Batman. Great movie. Really good. And this is not a Batman podcast. I wish it was. Um, if you have not seen the Batman with Robert Pattinson, uh, go see it because worth the three hours. Worth the three hours. You're not going to leave exhausted after the three hours. Yeah, it's it's in my top two Batman. I would agree with that. Between it and the Dark Knight, for me. Yep. It's a. I don't know if it's. It needs a. It needs a legacy of movies before I can call it like as good. Yeah. But it, it's it's up there. It's really good. The The main thing that like holds me back is just Heath Ledger's Joker. Um, yeah. But if it wasn't for that, I would be like, yeah, this, this is probably a better quality film. It's very good. But we get back to the podcast. Yeah. We are podcasting. Yeah, Aslan. Uh, Aslan. Batslam. Um, he is, he is vengeance. He is night. No, he he's is hope. Night. He's hope now, Kel. He's hope. He's hope. Uh, but um, he Not sees, mm -hmm. he sees this uh, he sees this pool and Trace. This is like we've said, like we mentioned earlier. This is other than Aslan resurrecting from the dead in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is probably the most preached on moment in the entirety of Narnia, and that's saying something because. Preachers love themselves in Narnia. Yeah, which I mean, when we get into Silver Chair, there's going to be a similar like spot that sure. like there's there's this another is definitely really more popular than Silver Chair because this is a moment of as as I talked about in my further up and further in. I think it was last week. Um, we this Edmund or Eustace being a dragon represents his sin. That that is what like that his dragon nature represents. And so Aslan in this moment is going to call him to shed his sin and become a new person, which is a beautiful, beautiful imagery, right? He's going to, in essence, what's going to happen. We're going to get to the parts that are weird here in a second, but let's talk yeah. about the parts that are really beautiful first. Cause what happens is Aslan tells him, Hey, you'll find healing in this pool. So get in the pool, but before you get in the pool, you need to remove your scales. And so Eustace starts ripping his scales off, 
and he gets a little bit, but he can't, they, they grow back and he can't really do it himself. Um, and he realizes that he has to let Aslan do it. And Aslan says, I must be the one to rip your scales off of you. And he takes these big gashes out of him. He's ripping these scales off and it hurts, but it's also good because he knows that he's removing the evil parts, the wicked parts of him until he is clean and fresh and he goes in the pool and he becomes Eustace the boy again. That is the, and then after that, he will dress him in these new clothes and these beautiful new things. And that's the beautiful part of this chase. It's the yeah. part of that, that it's like, wow, the gospel is so good. And like C.S. Lewis does such a great job of like representing the gospel to kids of saying yeah. like, I have to be the one to take away your sin. You can't take it away. Yeah. As many times as you try to take off these skills, there's always going to be more underneath, but I can make you new. I can make you new. That's beautiful. Now let's doesn't talk say about scales. Does he? He doesn't say, let me take off your scales. He says, I'm, you must undress first. And then he goes, undress. Oh, you must mean shedding my scales. So he does that. And then he says, when he realizes that he can't undress himself, quote, that the lion, like he says, the lion says, I must undress you. Yep. That's, um, here's it's, the thing. I, I struggled reading this, Kel, because I couldn't figure out whether or not my discomfort was valid because it's a lion. And, but Eustace is a child and Aslan is not a child. And yeah. that made me very uncomfortable, even though I'm, Aslan is also God. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this is kind of just lost through the 50 years, seven, 50 to 70 years that this story has been like, not like, like, maybe this wouldn't have been as weird to say. I don't think it would have in, but it's still reading it now. Our, it's, our perception is colored by a lot of training and a lot of awareness of bad things that have happened in the world. And culture is yeah. both like, we America has a different bathing culture than most of the world. So that's sure. one thing, but also it's a, uh, both of us have, we're just more aware of the problems world. in the world. And sure. But we've also, we both worked inside the students ministry world and kids ministry world where have had to take many ministry safe trainings where an adult telling a child, I must address you is tough. It's more more than tough. I really a mandatory reporting situation. Correct. This is a it's a thing where, like, obviously, this is not what is being communicated in this passage. For sure. And again, Aslan is Jesus in this. Aslan is Jesus. He is good, and he is removing sin. He's he is helping Edmund or Eustace. But it's so uncomfortable to read it. I really hope for future versions like it's one of the things where it's like it's such an issue just these this phrasing 
I feel like they need to change the words in future editions of this. And like, obviously when, you know, the TV show gets made of this, I don't think they're going to use this phrasing. I think they will use something along the lines of like, you must remove your scales. You must like, you must allow me to remove your scales. Like it's a simple change, but it makes the world of difference. Yeah. Which like what he's going for is a repeated phrase in the new Testament in Paul's writings of like removing the old clothes of sin and putting on the new clothes of righteousness. Like that is a like image in the Bible that is helpful because we all understand what it means to take something off and put on something fresh. Like if you've ever like, like worked out and like just been like drenched in sweat and your clothes are messy and they feel heavy and gross and then taking a shower and put on fresh clothes. Like there is something about that, that is like communicates there. This is like what he's trying to get at. And he's using the idea of this dragon skin as something that Eustace is wearing which is interesting. Like, I think that's a really interesting image to treat the dragon body as like clothes that need to be taken off, but that he doesn't have the ability to take off because it is core to his being. Like that, like there's so many dynamics there of like the way that sin interacts with our, ourselves that like, is really interesting and the analogy hits it's just when you have a like adult speaking to a child like if Eustace wasn't a child i don't think i'd have a problem with this i would still find it weird just because of the phrasing theologically i have no issues with this it's literally just verbiage because it says i must undress you and that like it, it just has different connotations in in the world we live in. And so, and just the world that you and I particularly are coming from, it just feels weird. But like I said, theologically, this is beautiful stuff. This is, and like, well, I think, I think we've addressed the, the weirdness, you know, enough here and we can get back to, you know, the sweetness of theology here. Cause even he, he goes in and says like, I was afraid, but I, I let him, you know, I knew what he was going to do, which was, you know, tear into my flesh because I was afraid of his claws, but I let him do it. And he said the, like the first tear was like, it was so deep that he thought he was going to like rip into his heart when he began pulling the scales off and he saw that even though it hurt worse than anything he'd ever felt, there was pleasure of knowing that it was working, that he was removing this, these scales that he could actually see his skin. Uh, and it was, you know, like the, the really co- like fun imagery of like, if you've, you know, if you've ever peeled off a scab that started itching or something like that, uh, which you shouldn't do, that's not. Yeah. The really healthy, but fact that it goes from this beautiful imagery, albeit uncomfortable for all the reasons we've talked about to be like, man, you know what it's like when you peel a scab off? It kind of felt like that. And Edmund's like, I know exactly what you mean. 
Man, <laughs> I love peeling off scabs. It's the best. <laughs> but the, like, it is, it's this imagery, and I know you're going to talk about this later, so I'm not going to dive into it too much, but he is ripping his scales off in this painful illusion and in this this thing that hurts a ton and once he has ripped all of his scales off and he's you know fresh and he's he's says he is as smooth and soft as a peeled switch uh and smaller than he had been um he's he does this and he and then aslan throws him into the pool well he didn't he he carries him and places him in the pool but i like to think he just yeets him in there i mean Uh, does it say he carried him he's no it says he like he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much. So I was very tender underneath because I had no skin. And then he threw me into the water. But I think he just, I, I think he threw him into the pool. There you go. Uh, and so he starts swimming around and then all of a sudden he, he is back to Eustace, the boy. Um, and he, it's funny. Cause like, it feels like Eustace feels necessary to mention that he was scrawny where it's like, you'd simply, you'd think me simply phony. If I told you how I felt about my own arms, I know they've no muscle and are pretty moldy compared with Caspian's, but I was so glad to see them. Listen, Hey, good for you being happy in your own body. Eustace. I mean, weird that you've got to bring Caspian into this kind of feels like uh, the lesson that Lucy learns that the mirror shouldn't only be for girls ever, but whatever. Whatever. We can talk Uh, about that when we get there. And, I will talk about that when we get there. Absolutely. Um, but he, uh, so he goes, so then the lion took me out and dressed me. And we've already talked about this. This one is less weird than the undressed me, right? Because uh, it would make sense as we talked about him, like hulking out. He wouldn't have clothes, you know, but yeah. like the lion dressing me in new clothes. That's not as weird to me. And again, I think he's got to be wearing dragon hide. It, I, if he's I, not, that is a failure of this book. It would be dope if he was wearing dragon hide. Is all we're saying. Uh, but Aslan dresses him in these new clothes, and it's the clothes he has on. But Eustace is like, I have no idea if any of this is real. If this was a dream, what happened? And Edmund's like, Well, it wasn't a dream. And he's like, How do you know? He's like, Well, for one thing, you're wearing clothes. Two, you're not a dragon, man. You're both not currently naked and not currently a dragon. So, like, seems real to me, bro. Like, you, that was a great argument. No wonder they call him Edmund the Wise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. But he goes, yeah, Ed, Edmund tells him, like, I think you've seen Aslan. And Eustace is like, Oh, I've heard that name before. I used to hate that name. Yeah. I don't know why, but I hated everything back then. As we, we talked about this you know, a long time ago in, in a previous podcast of the power of Aslan's name of how those who like, when you are righteous and pure, his name is this warm, comforting, loving embrace. But for those who are against him and those who are not like for him and, and are not, you know, walking in righteousness, it is a dread it is a thing to be feared. And like, it's cool that that is a thread that runs throughout the whole story and that he's like, Oh man. Yeah. I like, I get, I get it now. And then Edmund, I love that this conversation is happening between Eustace and Edmund where Edmund's like, listen, like I know exactly what it's like to be in your shoes. 
you can, you know, like count yourself lucky. You've just been, as Chase said, a butt. Yes. Uh, On this friendly podcast. That is the word used. He's just been a donkey, man. Um, and that's what C.S. Lewis meant. Yeah, he's a uh, he got turned into a talking donkey and became friends with an ogre. Um, but I thought you were going to go like a Balaam direction, but could be, could be. But uh, like Edmund says, you were only a but. I was a traitor. Now, granted, in the grand scheme of things, Edmund did something considerably more despicable however edmund was way more likable at least i mean keep in mind kel 90 percent of line the witch in the wardrobe you were strong anti-edmund gang so i was this is true however even being anti-edmund gang he he made great points like I didn't like him and he was a jerk. Yeah. However, he was dude, observant. Dude was also very observant. And like in the grand scheme of things, he's the one that like aligned himself with the governing body of the time. Should he have? No, but like oh. him versus the the like mythical creature who drugged and kidnapped your sister. Like I don't know. I mean, again, as we've said many times in the run of this podcast, Tumnus is shady and should not be trusted. Yeah, I think the real thing that came out of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for us was that Tumnus should, like, he's the real villain here. Yeah, he should not be allowed around children, should not be in a position of government power as he is after that book. This is a very anti-Tumnus podcast. Yeah, fully anti-Tumnus, the Jar Jar Binks of the Narnia world. I'm for that. Um, but Eustace tells him and like has this relation to him and then tells him, uh, Edmund, or Eustace asks, who is Aslan? And do you know him? And Edmund says, well, he knows me. He's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea who saved me and saved Narnia. We've all seen him. Lucy sees him most often. And it may be Aslan's country we are sailing to. This is an interesting phrase. He knows me. You do know Aslan. Like, you've met him. You've hung out with him. Yeah. I, I like the choice in a way because it communicates the, like, degree of difference between Aslan and Edmund. Totally. Yeah. Like, I, I know what you're getting at, but it also still kind of rang true. Oh, I'm still for it. I like it. It's just, like, it's an interesting thing where it's like, I like it's almost implied that like Edmund doesn't know him. It's like, no, you do. He just knows you so deeply that it's different and you don't know him as deeply, but like you still know him. The fact that you were saved, like you have, like if you're going to the Jesus metaphor here, which you kind of have to, if you don't know him, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting choice. Being artsy without uh without being that helpful. Yeah. Um, but they uh like all is all said and done, and they walk back to the camp and everyone's super pumped because Eustace is back, and then 
in the back of their minds are like, oh, crap, Eustace is back. He's not a dragon anymore. Um, can't kill ghosts for us. Uh, and they gave one line of people wondering what happened uh, to Lord Octesian, wondering whether this, you know, the dragon that um, had died was Lord Octesian or uh, if he, you know, had died previously sometime. And then they never address it again. They just know that he's dead uh, because they don't want to get into the implications of what Eustace may or may not have done. Yeah, as um, Lewis said last chapter, don't worry about it. Don't worry about not it. Your story. And Caspian proceeds then to like disclaim this as Dragon Island, discovered by Caspian the Tenth, King of Narnia, in his fourth year. Here is we suppose the Lord Octesian had his death. Um, excuse me, who discovered this island, Caspian? Lord Octesian did. Yeah, that's fair. Give credit where credit's due. Also, is Caspian the only king as part of this journey? This will come out more next chapter, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's a move. It's a move. Um, but like, you know, whatevs. Uh, but he names it Dragon Island, and they uh, there is a nice little line about like not just sin in the removal of sin, but the the process of sanctification here. And again, I think this would have been done better if you see him in his dragon experiencing these things, but it, you know, say uh, he says it would be nice and fairly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy to be strictly accurate. He began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun where it's like, there's still moments where it's you, your sin is still, you you have to conquer it and fight it but you're better and you can't actually fight it now that you have Aslan slash Jesus with you. Yeah. I, I like the acknowledgement that it's not an immediate like, and yeah. now he's better. So move yeah. on. I, I like that too. Uh, and the, we didn't mention this earlier, but he had the golden armband on and like, was like, Oh yeah, look at this thing. And they're like, what do we do with it? Chase? Like, now I'm sitting here going like, how did he become the dragon? What, I, was it not the armband? Was it not like, was it sleeping in the dragon's cave? Like, I think it was. Was it the just, there's a magic on the island? I think it was a magic on the dragon's horde and the quality of Eustace's heart. Um, it's kind of what I took away from it. And I mean, as I also said, I think you could argue for vampirism, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't think the armband putting on the armband was like the trigger. I think that the like greed of a dragon was the trigger. Yeah. Um, if, if this is the case then, because what happens is the chapter ends with him chucking the, uh, Caspian taking the armband. No one wants it because they don't want to become dragons just in case. Um, and chucking it up onto this, cliffside and it just so happens to hang in this impossible place to reach um where it's too high to climb up to and too low to climb down to and too you know precarious and it just hangs there until the world ends um that's how the chapter ends but chase on this inscription of this island do you think they shouldn't have warned anyone else who lands there hey bt dubs you could turn into a dragon if you get greedy here, maybe you just don't land here. Well, the name Dragon Island implies that dragons be there. Or 
it like they used to be there or it's shaped like a dragon or there's a volcano that like there's fire that comes out of. There's plenty of things that you could name something after. It, yeah, I mean, in general, they don't do a good job of warning people at all. Um, even, if they're, even if it's warning of a dragon, that's not accurate because there are no dragons anymore on this island. Anymore. There could be in the future, though. Yeah. Maybe give they'll leave room for Aslan to do his work. Give, give a little heads up here, man. Uh, I, it's just, it's bonkers to me, Chase. But do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? I, I don't think so. We, we're just throwing our gold in the air. Throwing our gold in the air. Uh, well, I'm going to start uh, real quick. Um, mine is fairly quick. Uh, it's just the, the, the idea of putting on the new self, which we've addressed a lot. Both of us are going to talk about it a little bit. It's, you know, you can't not in this chapter because uh, this idea of change is the theme of this chapter, you know. Um, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want to read this passage because uh, this is ultimately one of the big things that C.S. Lewis is getting at. And he is never shy about sharing the gospel, sharing biblical allusions in his works, um, unlike J.R.R. Tolkien, who is mixing biblical allusions and mythology throughout all of his things, not intending to try and share the gospel directly. C.S. Lewis is, and he's very, very upfront about it. Um, and he says in Corinthians chapter five, verses 16 on, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away Behold, the new has come. Um, and there's, I mean, he talks a little, like he keeps going on saying that, you know, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, this really sweet thing where though we've already seen the death and resurrection narrative of Aslan in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we now see the ability of Christ to redeem and to renew and to make new um, creations that were sinful. Uh, we see the old Eustace uh, represented not just by his suckiness, but by his dragon, right? The dragon is an external reality of the internal, um, you know, state of Eustace being terrible. And Aslan removes the sin from Eustace and makes him a new creation and dresses him in a new garment uh, of life and righteousness. And from the next, from this point on, Eustace is the main character of the next two books. He is the predominant protagonist um, throughout the, the rest of the story uh, and, you know, has this new purpose, this new uh, redeeming quality to him that uh, the, the Pevensies once had, that Edmund, his predecessor and cousin, had. Uh, and so it's just this really cool story of new, of, of old to new uh, and, and casting off your old self. Uh, but Chase, hit us with what you got. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm also talking about this dynamic of change, uh, but focusing on, on a slightly different angle of the dynamic of pain and, and ultimately joy when it comes to this kind of deep change. Uh, so when Aslan removes Eustace's dragon skin, he says uh, the cut hurt worse than anything he ever felt. But he was able to bear it <clears throat> because the feeling of it being removed... <clears throat> I'm sorry. My voice decided to give up. I'm going to leave that in. I'm not editing yeah. this podcast. Um, but yeah, so when Aslan removes Eustace's skin, he says the cut hurt worse than anything he ever felt. But he was able to bear it because the feeling of it being removed was also good in a way. And when Eustace had been peeling off the top layers, there wasn't any pain, but also nothing changed. It was only when they cut deep to the core and removed the dragon shell at a deeper level that real change could happen. And, and that cost him, that cost him his comfort, it cost him real pain, but it also meant that there was real change involved. And we live in a world and in a culture that kind of avoids pain at all costs. We, we instinctively gravitate towards the path of least resistance, the easy way, the, and that can shape comforts and habits that ultimately are worse for us than their better and more difficult counterparts. Um, and there's a million examples of this uh, thing, food, all sorts of stuff, not, not going to go down the path. Anyways, the point though is this. For Eustace, the short-term pain of change was better than the lasting pain that would have come from staying the same. And the pleasure of the renewal he received was sweeter than the benefits that he got from his old ways. And like this is one of my favorite scenes in a C.S. Lewis book, all the things that we discussed making it kind of odd aside, because it does so deeply communicate the fear and the costs and the rewards of transformation. Like, Eustace was weary of Aslan's claws. Like Eustace acknowledged that it did in fact hurt to lose the, the shell that he had around himself. Like it hurts to change, but sometimes not as much as it hurts to stay the same. And that's where like the invitation of this story lies is that like, yes, you might have built up these skills around yourself. You might be like, walking down this path of like dragon heartedness and which has got its own kind of biblical imagery tied up in it. But there is an invitation to let Aslan, let Jesus remove that, those scales, remove that skin from you and give you new clothes of righteousness. And that's what really does make this one of those like stories in one of those pictures in a C.S. Lewis book that people keep coming back to. Chase, I know you told me to undress this pod. I mean, sorry, end this podcast, but I've realized that I need to let you end it. I, I'm not getting undressed, undressed on this zoom call, Cal. I'm sorry. Just, this is, this is gotta have boundaries. Thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. If you want, to listen to this podcast fully clothed. Um, you can do that on Apple, Spotify, Audible, really anywhere you get podcasts. 
And while you're there, you can leave us a rating and review. Five stars, please. It helps other people find this podcast. You can share it with friends and you can follow us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where we post whenever we release new episodes. Uh, Yeah, find us there. Further up and further in, I saw yours. You're doing um, the, the... the dynamic of pain and pleasure. Yeah. So some like real like BDSM like, stuff. I'm, I'm going to put on a, a leather mask for my further up and further in. You're not going to be able to hear it. It's going to be great.